a first round exit for the Washington Mystics. The Mystics teller, Jen Hatfield, is here to explain what it all means. Locked on women's basketball starts now. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, hi, everyone, and happy Thursday. Welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Magdahl, founder and editor of The Next, where you can follow our work on women's basketball every single day, 24 7 thenexthoops.com. That's the place to do it. You can subscribe for $9 a year or $72 or $9 a month or $72 a year and make sure you are up to date on everything that's happening in the world of women's basketball. I want to thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. You can subscribe to us for free, of course, uh, anywhere you get your podcast or, of course, over on YouTube. And today, our topic is the Washington Mystics, and they're uh, no shade toward Kareem Copeland, who does a great job at the Washington Post as well. But I, my number one option for all Washington Mystics coverage is managing editor at the Next and so many other things, including Washington Mystics beat reporter Jen Hatfield. Jen, are you surprised that this season has ended as quickly as it has? I am. It actually took me a couple of days just to process that, that the season was actually over. And the players felt that, too. Uh, they had exit interviews, so they lost on Sunday and had exit interviews on Tuesday with a travel day in between. And they seemed a little bit uh, rattled still. Ariel Atkins said she was still in season mode. She hadn't flipped that switch off yet. So I think I think all of Mystic's land is a little uh, taken aback by the quick exit um, but at the same time, they did show flashes this season of, of a lot of good things. And we have a lot to get into with that. We're going to talk about, of course, Elena Deladon, who is the sun around which everything in Mysticland orbits and has, quite frankly, since the day she got there. We're going to talk about Maisha Hines-Allen. We're going to talk about Alicia Clark and her free agency, along with what that means for the rest of the offseason ahead for the Washington Mystics. But we're going to start, as I said, with Elena Deladon. And by any measure, this was a successful season for Elena, who finished at 17.2 points per game, who managed to play in 25 regular season games, along with the playoffs, shot 52.6% from the field, 36.8 from three, and somehow 91.3% from the free throw line, uh, which is actually slightly down from her career mark, which I find very funny. Uh, but Elena Deladon was, in many ways, the Elena that we have become accustomed to seeing. And Jen, you wrote about this earlier this year, the ways in which she was similar, the ways in which she was different. Um, but that was at around the one month mark, if memory serves. As you look back here at the end of the year, two things uh, right off the bat. Do you still see it as Elena was similar to the Elena we're used to? And how did Elena view the way Elena was this season? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think that that story actually holds up very well. Uh, 
you know, she almost had a 50, 40, 90 year, if not for a, a slight slump toward the end of the year, she, she mm -hmm. was well within striking distance. Um, I think perhaps the, the easiest thing to point to, to, to really show that she um, was playing much like her former self, as I asked her in her, her exit interview, I said, you know, Elena, before your injury, you got the Elena treatment from defenses, you know, lots of doubles, just tons of attention, all the eyeballs, you know, everyone trying to stop you. Do you feel like you got the same Elena treatment this year as you had in years past? Or do you feel like defenses guarded you somewhat differently in your new body? And she said, I think it's pretty much the same, <laughs> like lots of attention. You know, I've, I've got to be, be good at passing out of those and, and all of that. But she said, yeah, no real, no real differences here. Um, and I think that that's really, a, you know, a, a stamp of approval of how far back she's gotten if, if opposing coaches are playing her the same way she was before she uh, herniated three discs in her back. It's very hard to argue with the numbers as far as that goes as well. Um, when you talk about the late season slump, I, I do wonder, do you think that is a consequence of much of anything? Is that just a statistical blip? What, you, what do you take away from that late in the season? I didn't feel like in this series, and uh, full disclosure, I expected this series to go three, uh, and it would have not surprised me in the least if Washington had prevailed in this series. But I didn't feel like she was able to impose her will the way we've seen her do that so, uh, so customarily. I think she did, and there was like a 10-minute stretch between the late third and the late fourth in game one where she really took over. She must have scored like 18 of her 26 points in that span or something. It was it was ridiculous. She was getting the ball pretty much every possession and doing whatever the heck she wanted with it. So in that stretch, I think she really was taking over. Um, in some ways, she was even more dominant in that game than she has been in previous playoff games. But in game two, she she kind of struggled to your point. And even in the first half of game one, she was quiet. At my One of my favorite, um, like, what the heck stats is that in game one, when she scored 26 points, she was the fourth Mystic player to enter double figures. She sat on eight for a really long time and finally uh, caught up to her teammates. Um, hmm. So, you know, there were stretches where she looked uh, like she was lighting the world on fire and stretches where... Um, Seattle was really effective in doubling her and getting the ball out of her hands and making other players step up. And so I think, you know, that's a credit to them. And, and I agree with you. The series could have definitely gone three games. The Mystics know that that game one, they said it themselves, that game one was kind of the one that got away from them. They were right there in it. And then this game two wasn't quite as um, winnable as, as game one was. It felt in real time like that game one was the one to steal. Uh, and it doesn't mean necessarily that it would have gone three or they would have won the series outright, as we certainly found out when we saw the New York Liberty take game one against the Chicago Sky. It doesn't necessarily work out that way, but it would have been interesting from a basketball perspective, from a sports spectacle perspective for us to see that game three winner take all at ESA. It would have been real interesting. Uh, Elena, though, again, she played three games total in the 2020 and 2021 seasons combined uh, before resuming things. But it is an unfortunate reality of uh, both aging and injury that as you age, it gets harder to navigate. She will be 33 years old on September the 5th. And back injuries, especially degenerative back conditions, don't tend to get better. Um, is she optimistic? Uh, about that? And what do you think 
this team needs to do, if anything, differently to build around Elena, understanding that there's those caveats that are just simply going to apply for the rest of her career. Yeah, with the caveat that Elena is always optimistic with the press, it seems, about her her back. Um, yes, she is optimistic. She is very proud of herself that she made it back and was able to play basketball this season and to be able to play it like she knows how she can play it, you know, at, at close to, if not her highest level. Mm-hmm. So she, she looks at that in itself as an accomplishment. Um, but at the same time, she knows that there's this other level that she can get to physically. She said, uh, you know, throughout the season with it being so condensed, um, she has her her lifting routine has been extremely important to her. Um, she actually missed a game in June because it, she was a late scratch as opposed to the scheduled rest that she got throughout the season. But in that one, she was a late scratch because she just needed a little more time in the weight room to like get everything kind of calibrated physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lifting has always been a core of a core piece of her being physically prepared to play on the court. But because the games are so condensed, she has only been able to do basically a maintenance phase of lifting. And she's really looking forward to, she told us, um, getting in the weight room in the offseason and building strength in her back and the rest of her body and preparing her back even more for the rigors of a season. So next season, she's hoping, you know, it won't be the games won't be as condensed and she'll be stronger coming into the season. So she hopes that she will you know, she'll still have to do a lot of prep um, to be able to play and, and to recover afterwards. But she's hoping that, uh, you know, the way that I think about it is it'll her back will hopefully be a little bit less touchy where like any one tiny thing can set it off and it can be a little bit more. I don't want to say resilient because that back is already super resilient, but, um, you know, it, it can be even more prepared for a for a full season. You know, Elena is the master of preparation in that way. And the NHTSA wants you to be a master of preparation, too, when it comes to avoiding driving drunk. It can happen so easily. You're out with friends or coworkers. You're putting back a few drinks and a few becomes too many. It's time to go. And you think of calling for a ride. But then you think, oh, you're a good driver. Maybe you can make it home OK. What are the odds you get pulled over? And even what's the worst that could happen then? You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone, even yourself. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. So the NHTSA wants you to play it safe, and so do I, by the way, and plan ahead to get a ride, prepare, drive sober, or get pulled over. I cannot stress enough. And and I, I didn't call it because I had been drinking too much. I called it because my wife and I were walking around the city and we got tired, but it's so easy. You hit the Uber button. The, the company comes, the car comes, pitch you up, use Lyft, use whatever company you want, but my God, do not drive drunk. So I think your point about Elena is well taken. I'd be very interested to see obviously what the future brings. Uh, it's encouraging that she has a plan. It's encouraging from a basketball perspective that Elena wants to keep playing Elena is a singular talent and the basketball world is better with her in it. But of course, and I didn't answer, sorry, I didn't answer your second question. I seem to do a not great job of, of answering both questions you asked me. Not at all, but I am curious because she is so singular. Can you create a plan B on a roster like this? Or do you really have to do what it seems to me like Mike has done and it makes sense that Mike has done, which is to say, 
we are a championship contender if and only if Lana Deladon is healthy. And we need to plan for that eventuality. And the alternative is, quite frankly, we're going to probably be in the lottery. I think, well, first of all, there is going to be one free agent who uh, does have a lot of similarities to Elena Deladon and does have experience in a Mystics uniform. Her name's Emma Mieseman, so mm-hmm. they might they might want to see if she's if she's ready to come back to DC. Okay. Um, but no, you can't you can't generally replace Elena Deladon. And I think for the Mystics, you know, they really lamented how. Um, out of sorts their offense was all season they would have good games and bad games good quarters and bad quarters they never really had a flow even though a lot of the players have played together in the past it had been two years since any of them had really played with Elena and I think you know hopefully an an off season of of work for those who are going to be in the DC area and just having that season of familiarity will strengthen that but I think also just you know um, this past season the Mystics were a defense first team which is frankly, pretty rare in the Tebow era. He's he's known for these high-powered offenses, most notably in, in 2019 when they won the title. And and he's talked about it, and and I would agree that that a little more balance, um, getting a few more offensive weapons around Elena. They don't have to be Elena, but, you know, I think one thing that, that they could really use is another slasher. They do have Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, but if they can get, you know, um, like if we're looking at 2019, they could really use another aerial powers type um player and and they could also use a little bit more three-point shooting if you look at both their three-point shooting percentage and their their the number of attempts that they took per game both were down compared to what they usually do and and some of that's because alicia clark did not shoot the three like she normally does in her career but they could use a little bit more of that as well just to um diversify the offense and and kind of provide insurance whether or not elena is on the court what's interesting to me is how much of what you described were things they were asking at different points in time of Maisha Hines Allen. You wrote a terrific piece uh, about Maisha uh, and her season, which has been complicated. There have been ups and downs. And I just, I think it's fair to wonder, Maisha was signed to be a part of this team. She is entering her age 26 season. Uh, I Actually, I take that back. She is now... 26. She will enter, I guess, her age 27 season uh, in May of next year when she turns 27. But the question becomes essentially, what should Maisha Hines Allen be? And how does the how do the Washington Mystics go about making it so for her? Yeah, so Maisha Hines Allen was an all WNBA player in 2020. That was her breakout season. Um, and part of the reason for that is she had a really defined role and she crushed it. She was, she was the team's leading scorer. She knew she had a score. She knew she was going to have the ball in her hands a lot. That was when she first really started being point forward Maisha, um, which is a role that I really enjoy watching personally. Um, so she just, you know, she had a role. She knew what she was doing. She was confident. Um, associate head coach Eric Tebow told me, that he doesn't think she second-guessed any shots she took that season because she knew what she had to do and she was feeling confident and she was having a good year. Mm-hmm. This year, the Mystics pretty much asked her to do everything under the sun. Um, she was the player who was shuttling back and forth in the lineup when Elena Deladon was in versus out. Um, that She originally was going to start next to Elena, but then Shakira Austin came along like a rocket and Maisha got bumped to that kind of like bench utility player role. 
-hmm. Um, And even when she was in a game, they asked her to do different things depending on which other big she was playing with, like considerably different things. Um, If she was playing with Elena, she would often be the the inside player in kind of a four out, one in type of situation. But when she was playing with Shakira Austin or Elizabeth Williams, she was on the outside. And so she she was asked to do all these different things. And she never quite settled into to her rhythm. She was constantly bouncing around. She told us um, in her exit interview that there was a lot of outside noise that she felt she could have done a better job of blocking out that kind of um, distracted her a little bit from the task at hand. And she just never quite found her groove. We would occasionally see flashes of her all WNBA self, uh, most notably right at the end of the regular season before she got COVID and missed a couple games mm-hmm. to the point that I actually I actually wrote in my article that I, I expected her to play a big role in the playoffs. And then she, she kind of disappeared. She was, I believe, one for seven in game one, missed some point-blank layups that you were just like, like she blew by Brianna Stewart at one point, like it was nothing, and then blew the layup. And it's like, Man, she has all the talent in the world, but that kind of summed up her season, right? She she can blow by Brianna Stewart like it's nothing, but there was then a lid on the basket. So I think for her, you know, I would like to see the Mystics simplify her role next year. It, it's not it, it's not an indictment of her to say that, uh, you know, she struggled having like six different roles. I think most players would struggle with that, even even veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to see them simplify her role, whether that's um, you know, she can play the three. If Alicia Clark doesn't come back uh, in free agency, maybe Maisha starts at the three or Elena starts at the three and Maisha plays the four. Or well, if that, that, was more, that was more my thinking, right? Are, are we not at a point where Maisha makes the most sense essentially as a four next to, you know, either should she return Elizabeth Williams or, uh, you know, alternatively uh, Shakira Austin, who I think is really solidified uh, her role as, you know, uh, for lack of a better phrase, the five of the future. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I don't see a huge difference between what the Mystics would ask Maisha to do as a three and what they would ask her to do as a four with Shakira Austin or Elizabeth Williams on the court. So, like, I mean, she and Maisha and Elena are both, like, incredibly versatile. And that was almost Maisha's downfall. She was so versatile that they asked her to do everything. Um, but so I, I'm not sure three or four really matter on the offensive end. On the defensive end, it, it probably matters more, right? Whether you're you're guarding a smaller, smaller player or or a slightly larger player. Um, but so for me, it's kind of like they they would basically run out like a one, two, two fours on a five, and it's just a matter of like stick her in one position and uh, you know go from there. I, I'm not sure. Mike Tebow would want to commit to a three big lineup with Maisha, Elena, and Shakira on a regular basis. He's been kind of hesitant to do that over the past couple of years, even though the three big lineup uh, did perform well in the 2019 playoffs. Um, so I'm not sure he would totally want to do that. But but again, even if Maisha's role is um, come off the bench behind an Elena who is presumably going to play more games and Shakira, mm-hmm. um, I think that that could be fine as long as she's, you know, you know, uh, consistently a, you know, the first sub off the bench instead of, you know, half the games being the first sub off the bench and half the games being the starter. Um, so I think there's a lot of roles she could fit in and they need to just like not try to take all of the Halloween candy, but take their favorite Halloween candy. 
that is good. And seasonal advice with Halloween coming very shortly. Uh, I have seen that it is indeed pumpkin spice season already. Uh, if you needed to bet on what my Tebow would do, that would often be a fool's errand. But if you want to do it, the place you can is at betonline.net, the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. That's right, WNBA, women's college basketball, and WSL is there as well. So you can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source. Find reviews and news of every league. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. And so, where the offseason starts is with Alicia Clark, who you mentioned only shot 30.3% from three, which is just uh, absolutely strikes me as a statistical anomaly. Um, Sounds like a typo. Correct. Um, but she's going to be a free agent. Uh, there are a number of decisions to be made. What's the single biggest one? Is it AC figuring out whether AC is back and part of this team? And what did she sound like as she was coming out of um, the preparation for free agency in your exit interviews with her? I don't know if AC is the biggest, but she's certainly the linchpin. She's the domino that sets everything in motion. Mm -hmm. They need to start by deciding whether they want to keep AC, and that'll determine everything else. Because she she was on a big contract this past year. If they keep her at a at you know roughly a similar level of pay, they can't really afford to do anything too splashy. Mm -hmm. um, if they let her go, then they're sitting on a bunch of money that could be used for Emma Meesman or whoever else they might target. Um, and then they'll also have a lottery pick courtesy of the Sparks. Um, so those are those are kind of like the big, uh, those are the things that I would put like a little star sticker next to. Can um, I ask you something? If you yeah. were Mike Tebow and you had to, for this roster and the way it's set up, have AC or Emma Meesman, who do you think makes the most sense to have? That is a tough question. Um, based on this season alone, I would pick Emma Meesman. Um, <laughs> But AC's three-point shooting and her defense in, like, a normal AC year, mm -hmm. like, far and away is super helpful for this roster. And and I would think that she's going to be better next year than she was this year. Mm -hmm. um, when I was – I wrote a story about AC's defense, and I, I talked to several folks and, and said, you know, do you see the old AC or is she still getting there? And, and I believe it was Katie Smith who told me, like, She's getting there, but it's going to be like this whole season is like her get back year. And then next year is when she'll really start to like get going. And that's, and that's kind of what I've what I've seen from her, too. So I would be bullish on her. For next year. I mean, I, you know, I, you bet against Alicia Clark at your peril, but she is 35 and Emma is 29. And those are two very relevant stats in my mind when I think about the traditional aging curves of those two teams. I, I would yeah, imagine I would, I would take Emma just on, like, I think age would be my tiebreaker on that one, um, personally. But it's sure. worth noting that AC does not at all sound like a player who is going to retire. So if anyone was wondering about that, um, she was asked about her off-season routine, and she was like, I'm going to do what I've done for the past 10 years, which is, like, basically try to be the best version of myself for training camp and improve on everything and like really get to work and grind and all that stuff. So um, she was, she seemed very excited to put in another, another year of work. And she said she hasn't at all thought about free agency yet. She's not ready to think about that kind of continuing the theme of the mystics still in their exit interviews were still a little shell shocked. They weren't 
They didn't quite believe their season was over. They were not real ready to talk about the off season. Um, mm -hmm. It might've been more helpful if, if exit interviews were delayed a little bit, but so it goes, uh, particularly when a lot of players will head overseas. Uh, right. So, you know, I, I don't know which way she's leaning. She did tell me uh, that she had enjoyed her time in DC and that she, you know, the injury obviously wasn't predictable, but, she said that she got everything out of her D.C. experience that she had hoped to get when she made the decision to join Washington. And she doesn't second guess that decision. She's she's happy here for for lack of better words. Um, well, so so I think there's there's a chance that she could come back. Now, will Mike Tebow say you can come back, but you need to take a pay cut so we can afford other players? Maybe it will be fascinating to see what her market is. And of course, you know, AC has been on championship teams uh, in Seattle and has played for an elite team uh, called the Washington Mystics. Um, she has the option with free agency now here uh, to potentially go to a more Wobegon franchise. They're called the Washington Wizards and they play, Jen, in a league called the National Basketball Association, uh, which I understand is a, a young up and coming league uh, which allows uh, men to also play basketball. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're grateful to see the sports world finally giving men a chance uh, to earn a living. And so if you want to learn more about this league, uh, you can get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in 30 minutes every day with Locked on NBA. Uh, Locked on NBA is your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Uh, obviously, uh, the league still has a ways to go, even when players demand trades. Uh, like uh, there's this player, uh, Kevin Durant. I'm not sure if he's familiar to people in the D.C. area, but he plays for the Nets. He demanded a trade, but apparently it didn't happen. It's all very confusing. Um, obviously, things are topsy-turvy in a way. They never are in the WNBA where things always make sense. But, yeah, Locked on NBA. Once you finish listening to us, a great second listen every single day. So, I want everyone to understand we are grateful for your listening. We are so happy that you join us every day. Tomorrow, you get Missy Heydrich talking to Rowan Shaberg about the Seattle Storm, who uh, moved on from that 4-5 series that I thought would be for the ages and somehow ended in just two. But make sure you're following everything that Jen is doing at Jen Hatfield 1. And for those who are listening instead of watching, J-E-N-N-H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D-1 on Twitter, Jen is going to be bringing you everything you can imagine from the Ivy League to more sibling rivalry stories and, of course, the Mystics as well. Uh, Jen, just you also wanted to plug there's an update coming on your uh, travel story. Am I correct? Oh, yes. So in June, I wrote a story about all of the Division One women's college basketball teams who are taking uh, foreign tours, which are basically, you know, one week to 10 day trips. Um, generally overseas, where they get to play some exhibition games and also do a whole lot of sightseeing and team bonding. Um, and I've got a few additional schools to add to the mix, so that will be updated shortly for you all. But uh, you heard it here first. Foreign tours are back in women's college basketball, and, and we'd love to see it. And, and hopefully this will be a thing that I can continue to track uh, as the years go on. I look forward to all of it as well. Jen Hatfield, thank you for your time. Listeners, thank you for your time. I am Howard Mardal, wishing you a wonderful Thursday. You are locked on women's basketball. 
your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.